What's up, podcast listeners? Very eager to share another episode of the Jack of All Trades with you, where I discuss how to leverage alumni when building student-athlete development programming with my good friend, J.P. Abercrombie, who is the Assistant Athletic Director of Student-Athlete Development at Rice University. Besides the topic of engaging alumni, we also discuss how to have a more effective SAC and also how J.P. utilizes the acronym PACKUP to really guide her life. So without further ado... Welcome to another episode of the Jack of All Trades podcast. Episode of the Jack of All Trades podcast uh, featuring JP Abercrombie, who is the Assistant Athletic Director of Student Athlete Development at Rice University. And on today's show, we're going to be focusing in on how to utilize our alumni base so that we can maximize the value added to our student-athletes through our alumni's unique perspectives. So without further ado, let's welcome JP to the show. How's it going today, JP? Hey, Jack. Thanks. It's great. You know, I'm, I'm really happy to be on the podcast for you. Awesome. Awesome. Can you give us some of a brief introduction on what your job duties and responsibilities consist of at Rice? Sure. So I'm currently the Assistant Athletic Director for Student Athlete Development, and I was brought on in November of 2018. I came over uh, after a brief stint at Mississippi State University, where I did a similar role. But as far as my specific responsibilities at Rice, um, really it's my job to conceive of a program that supports our students in their holistic development. So I get to support their transitions in through and beyond Rice University, uh, really just providing them with a lot of opportunities to prosper, to develop, to figure things out, challenging them to think critically during their time at Rice, and really supporting or laying a foundation for them to achieve all of those dreams and really pursue prosperity beyond their time at Rice. I think that's so awesome. And, you know, doing that and really providing that holistic experience has, you know, wanting to do this as a career, has that been based off of some of your own personal past history, you know, being a student athlete at Temple, as well as not only being a student athlete, but serving as the president of SAC during your time at Temple? Has that really had a um, play in wanting you to work within this space of student athlete development? Oh, without a doubt. Um, I, you know, I tell people this story all the time and they think it's really funny, but I had no idea you could work in college athletics until I was a sophomore in college. If you would have asked me in high school what I was going to do, I was going to be a speech pathologist. That was it. You couldn't tell me anything else. I was headstrong in that. And I prepared myself to go in and get my bachelor's and then know that I had to go on and get a master's and really just wanted to work. Um, marrying some of the things that I loved. So helping people has always really been important to me. And then communication, uh, understanding others' points of view, perspective, and really helping somebody uh, reach their full potential. Those are things that I had always loved. And I didn't know that this path, that this career existed. And I think it was through my involvement uh, as a student athlete, first and foremost, but then being a part of SAC and the advisors that I had there, our compliance and student affairs staff when I was a student athlete were amazing. And I attribute a lot of who I am 
both as a professional, but also as a woman, as a, as a person, to the opportunities that I had at Temple University. So I'm a proud owl, double owl uh, now, especially that I get to be back at Rice and, and wear my owls all the time. But I, without a doubt, my experiences as a student athlete led me on this path. And I think being a student athlete gave me a lot of opportunities to kind of trial and error, um, learning things from an institutional level, but also at the conference level. And then I even had some opportunities to do some things with the NCAA at the national level while I was still competing um, beyond my sport. And so having those perspectives as a student athlete, as someone who is trying to figure it out, um, I, I mean, I can't say anything more, but in acknowledging that those were pivotal in uh, really establishing who I could become and, and how I got to, to where I am now. And, you know, that piece is so essential into, I think, a lot of people that work within this industry, they, they've been able to come up through the realm of student-athlete development as being a student-athlete, but then also going right after Temple, you were able to work at Cal Berkeley as a athletic academic advisor and also the person in charge of life skills student-athlete development during your time there. And that's also one of the main things that is commonly seen within this industry, even though student-athlete development is continuing to grow. Um, it's a dual role emphasis is, you know, that's the main way that people come up. And, you know, serving in that dual role, um, what types of advice would you give to others that are working in the dual role such as, you know, myself and then others as well um, to really just focus in on providing both a great experience from an athletic academic advisor standpoint, but then also providing the proper programs and outlets for student-athlete development. Yeah, well, so my role at Berkeley at the time was a little unique uh, in that it was more of like a, an assistant learning specialist of sorts. So I worked primarily with a caseload of uh, football to start student athletes, and I knew I'd always wanted to work in more of a life skills, student, student affairs at the time uh, kind of capacity. But academic support was my way in, and I was just very thankful for the opportunities from the UC Berkeley staff. Uh, they have a, the Athletic Study Center there, and at the time, my uh, director for my master's program was also is also the director for the athletic study center and so by virtue of being a part of this program I had the opportunity to work for him and get more of that insider perspective on academic support um, you know that's something that I had also started while I was at Temple being able to support other student athletes but then having this role shift um, when, when I got to Berkeley into more of a learning specialist capacity was something that was unique and, and definitely humbling for me uh, but I always knew I wanted more of that student affairs, life skills, student development. I mean, I'm probably going to use those terms interchangeably as the, <laughs> the national landscape has over the last 20 plus years. That's part of our, our problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <I think. laughs> we can't figure that one out. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think the most important piece in, in that was leveraging the relationships. So I worked primarily in uh, that learning specialist capacity for about one academic year. And my program director knew that I always had the goal of working in more of a life skills capacity. So 
as my program began to wind down, you know, I, I made those goals more clear and also was able to, to leverage the relationships that I had from being a, a good learning specialist, being in that capacity with the team that I work with, and use that uh, to transition into that new role successfully. So when it came time for me to work more in a student development capacity, I had already had relationships with certain coaches, certain players that made it easier for them to buy in to the programs that we were doing beyond the academic lens. So I think that's one of the things that I've always learned wherever I've been. I've, I haven't had too much of a hand in academic responsibilities at my stop since, but understanding that academic mind, mindset, that frame of work of, of what the academic advisors or even other learning specialists had to do was very helpful. And just knowing that you already have a touch point that some other people, especially on campus, wish they had. So when you talk about bringing in, you know, your leadership development offices or your career development, your multicultural affairs, and really leaving those experiences into the student-athlete perspective, and you have an academic as well as a student-athlete development uh, responsibility, bring it together as much as possible. I think working in silos is something that hurts college athletics as a whole, uh, particularly for lower resource institutions, but also for the higher resource institutions. It's something that can be very damaging to that holistic student athlete welfare mindset. So when you have the opportunity to come together, to build relationships, to build bridges, I would say leverage that as much as possible. Always find that third door, I think, is what is important. And, you know, during that time and during your history before Rice, You've been able to build two programs at both Cal, Berkeley, and then also Mississippi State. Um, how were each of these experiences similar, and how were they different? I think the, the easiest similarity was to acknowledge that I didn't do it alone. Um, I am very thankful that at each of the stops I've been, I've had a lot of internal athletic support, but also uh, campus partners who were just willing and willing to partner up. And for me to be able to come in and cast a vision, but also be willing to kind of reach across the aisle and say, hey, campus partner, come on, we're, we're doing the same thing. Can we do it together? I think that's been something that was an easy win. Uh, you know, even looking back at the start with Berkeley, my role there was was really unique in how it was crafted, but I wasn't the director of the program. And so to come in as a coordinator and to be able to say, you know, these are some things that I've experienced in my time as a graduate student. How can we provide greater access and accessibility to our student athletes, especially knowing that at Berkeley there were about 950 at the time, you know, across, I think it's somewhere around 30 teams. So a huge student athlete population, there's no way one or two people can really have the relationships that you need to ensure that each of those 950 are taken care of to the fullest extent or to, to the best uh, of our abilities without being able to maximize those relationships across campus. So that was key. And I think that was something that I've, I've learned and taken with me. And you saw that similarly at Mississippi State, another large public research institution uh, now didn't have nearly as many student athletes, for which I'm very thankful. But <laughs> I think the opportunities to kind of say, I don't want to be in a vacuum. I really want to really build this community, this culture of care, and I want you all to be a part of the ride with me. How can we come together to really support the mission of the institution as best as possible? Those were things that were very helpful and very similar. Now, the difference is I had two large public 
research institutions, and now I'm at a very small private institution. Uh, and that, that's something that I'm still learning and navigating. But I think one of the, the interesting pieces about Rice is that although the campus, the undergraduate population is very small, uh, we're in the fourth largest city in America. So if it doesn't exist on campus or if I don't have access to it, there are campus partners, our alumni base, our community partnerships, then I probably have access to it uh, just by virtue of being in the, the city of Houston. So it is an amazing opportunity to really continue to learn and grow and flex, um, but also to continue to grow the way that student athlete development is perceived uh, in a major media market. So being able to work not only with our uh, internal digital marketing staff and our SIDs, but having access to some of the, the blog writers and, and our external partnerships has been fun. And being able to really enhance how, not only how the student athlete experience operates and, and is available to our students, but how that story is told is something that I think has been a, a very welcome uh, difference that I, I enjoy being a part of. Yeah, it's that private versus public in the amount of access in each of those. But, you know, one of the other things that I think a lot of young professionals really get caught up in is ascending to that power five level mm -hmm. um, because they think it's, you know, glamorous, which it can be. Um, yeah. But it really depends on who the athletic director is, and that's something that you taught me um, through <laughs> previous conversations. And, you know, going back off of that, so now you're at Rice, and you, mm -hmm. and you did work at the Power 5 level. So mm -hmm. what has been the biggest lesson that you've learned from working at the Power 5 level that you've used during your current job at Rice? Ooh, I mean, there are so many lessons. You know, I'm a big advocate of this notion that everyone has something to teach you. You just have to be willing to learn. And I think if I reflect on all of my experiences, the one word that keeps sticking out to me is alignment. You know, I, I think there's this, this autonomy five, this power five notion, but I didn't graduate from a power five school from my undergrad. So my student athlete experience wasn't at the P5 level. So for me, you know, that wasn't the end all be all. And I, I keep coming back to alignment because I know that for many reasons, Temple University is a place for me to be challenged, to grow, to reach my full potential. And I think I did a really good job of maximizing opportunities there beyond athletics in addition to everything that athletics uh, offered. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't believe in the mission of my athletic director at the time, the, the program, the coaches that recruited me, and also the mission of the institution. There's something about the history of Temple that like, really spoke to me and helped me become the person that I am today. And then I think the same thing happened at Berkeley. You know, the, there was a, a shift in how I continued to see the world and how I continued to grow as a person and as a professional. But the opportunities that were there at Berkeley really, really aligned with who I was at the time and, and who I wanted to become. And, again, the support that I had from our director of the Athletic Study Center, uh, the Athletic Department Leadership, you know, Jenny Simon O'Neill, who's still there uh, as the SWA, and then Sandy Barber was the athletic director when I was hired. I still talk to Sandy, user mentor. Um, still hold that claim the same of getting her to shoot the T-shirt gun at a spring football game. So definitely look up to her <laughs> a lot. But I think I've just always been surrounded by great leadership and who really believed in me. And that's something that maybe we aligned 
from a value standpoint are realigned philosophically. So it's been really easy to successfully na- navigate those transitions and, and really do something great where I was. You know, that's, that same thing happened at Mississippi State. Uh, even with some leadership transitions going on there, I still had a lot of great opportunities to do stuff within the athletic department, but then also across campus and, and in the community. But when the opportunity to, to go to Rice came up, uh, the mission of the institution spoke to me, and I think it was a great opportunity to marry the academic and athletic experiences I had at Cal along with the athletic experiences of Mississippi State and kind of bring together that true student-athlete experience with elite academics and elite athletics. And then I had the first conversation with Stacey Mosley, the SWA, and athletic director Joe Collard, and I knew that we were going to be a force to be reckoned with. You know, just their vision, their ability to kind of cast a vision for me that I didn't necessarily see for myself, but that was almost bigger and better than what I saw for myself, and just their vision for what they wanted student-athlete development to become. Uh, I knew I could be the person to bring that to fruition for them. So our strategic plan uh, came out in April. We released that publicly as a department. It's called Vision for Victory. And so if anybody reads that, you know, it's out there on our website or it was in the ticker, I'm sure, at one point, you can see not only how the academic piece is important and the athletic competitive success is important for our programs, but then also the student-athlete development piece is a really central part to the vision for victory. And so to know that I was coming into a place where people were going to cast a vision for me, but then also provide me with resources and opportunities to grow on that professional level, grow uh, the department, but then grow as a person, the alignment of all of those things happening was just something I couldn't pass up. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something that I've learned throughout all of my stops, how important alignment with who you, who you are, but also who you want to become or where you want to go is so important. And so those relationships of how you can you know, build them with your coaches, your student athletes, the administrators, the support around you uh, is just so critical. And I'm very thankful for every opportunity that I've had. And, you know, some of those other opportunities through the power of belief and your own power of, of your vision and who you're transcending to become has led you to other opportunities such as being selected to the Dr. Charles Whitcomb Leadership Institute in 2017 Mm -hmm. and then also the Institute for Administrative Advancement this past year Mm -hmm. within Women's Leaders. Um, And both of these, you know, assist with growth within the industry. So how have they really helped you develop more as a professional? I think the first thing is that as much as these are professional development opportunities, they're also personal development. And, you know, specifically for the NCAA's Dr. Charles Whitcomb Leadership Institute, that is an elite group of amazing people, amazing professionals uh, throughout various ranks of the NCAA who I'm privileged to be a part of that group. Uh, you know, they'll know about the whole surviving jail experience. But I'm, there, I'm definitely thankful for that opportunity because it was something that I think on a personal level in year one broke you down. But over the course of that week uh, that you go through that intensive training, you also get built back up in ways that you probably didn't know you were capable of achieving. So very grateful for that opportunity. But I think the other piece is that it provided me with a network of people in this industry 
who can support me uh, at various stages. And honestly, there's someone uh, at Rice, Tori in Houston. He's, shout out to my twin there. He is the associate AD for compliance at Rice with me right now. He's a big part of why I'm at Rice. And I don't think that if we didn't experience this uh, Dr. Charles Whitcomb Leadership Institute together, that our bond would be as close as it is, which is uncanny because I, you know, I mean, I call him my twin. We are born in the same week. We had a lot of the same contacts and networks, a lot of similar experiences, both being track and field student athletes. But I think the way that the, the Leadership Institute brought us together uh, has honed our skills and our perspective in another way that I know that not only with him, but with my other Leadership Institute cohort members, we are tied together uh, throughout our professional careers and our personal lives beyond belief. And I think the same thing is true with every program that I've participated in with women leaders. I'm so thankful for what women leaders, you know, formerly NACWA, uh, what it has done for me in my professional career, even dating back to when I was a student athlete. And it's something that I would encourage all current student athletes or young professionals, GAs, interns, get involved, especially because that membership's a little cheaper now. <laughs> Once you get into the professional ranks, it shoots up a little bit. But definitely get involved with those types of organizations, even with, you know, N4A or if you have some other NASCAR affiliate that is of importance to you. All of the professional development opportunities that I've been a part of with the NCAA, with women leaders, with N4A, those have been outstanding. And not just because of the tangible content. Yes, that's helpful. But I think the people that I've been exposed to and the perspectives that have helped me see my own responsibilities and my path in a different way, I'm so grateful for that. And I think that's what challenges me to get better every day, seeing how someone else over here is doing it and how I can make that work for my current institution or make it work for my student athletes. It's not, you know, copying what they're doing, but I think that's something that you see a lot of times. It's like, oh, well, this institution can do this. We just need to figure out how they did it and implement it right here. Well, do what works best for your institution. Leverage the resources you have. Leverage the experience that's going on there and figure out how to make it uniquely yours. And I think that's something that all of these professional development and personal development opportunities have helped me see and helped me bring to fruition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that family piece is is really, really key because w- when I went through PDI uh, this past summer, um, that was one of the major takeaways is you know how connected you get with the group that you go through mm-hmm. the um, program with and it really helps with just going back to um, your idea of you know seeing what other in- institutions are doing I think it's really key to just take away the main concept sometimes like oh mm-hmm. this person's doing something on values so we should do something on values it doesn't have to be exactly copy. Yep. But somehow, some way, kind of make it possible. But going back into uh, what you do now at Rice, before we get into engaging alumni in programming, I, I want to talk about some of your other duties and, and responsibilities at Rice. And uh, one of these is the Peer Wellbeing um, Athletic Advising Program, mm-hmm. which is something that we're launching at Utah Valley this upcoming fall, um, something similar. Can you please describe more about what this program entails and why it was constructed? Sure. So the PWAA is for short, uh, it's a peer well-being advising program. And essentially, just to kind of draw some type of comparison, it's 
almost like a sack, but for the mental and social health of student athletes. And it's um, something that is very similar to some other organizations and programs that we have on campus. But I think what's more unique and more relevant for me is that this organization was started at a time when uh, student athlete development as a formal role didn't exist within the athletic department. And it was started by a group of student athletes as a part of a class project. So what I heard in, in learning about the program's founding from the student athletes that were a part of it is that this was their way of saying there was a need uh, for, for additional resources for the student athlete experience. So what's been really important for me over the last few months is to hear what led up to that, but then provided a sustainable structure so that it can continue to move forward. So similar to SAC, uh, PWAAs is, is another leadership group for our student athletes to be a part of, and we seek to have representation across all sports and really arm, equip, empower, enable all of our student athletes, but also all of the coaches and support staff to look out for one another, not just in an athletic sense or not just in an academic sense, but really be engaged in what's going on and, and understand what's happening on an individual person's experience level to be able to support them throughout the various transitions that they experience. So at the highs, the lows, the wins, the losses, personal strife, the stress, whatever it may be, just being able to be a more active participant in people's lives and to, to help them navigate the mental health, the social struggles, again, any of the transitional concerns that may pop up as someone comes in uh, but also comes through and eventually goes beyond their student athlete experience. So the simplest way to explain it is that it, it kind of operates like a, a stack mental and social health kind of organization. Um, but again, I think it's, it, there's a lot of research out there that shows that peer-to-peer -peer interaction, peer-to-peer uh, -peer referral is going to be something that is more welcome than a student athlete maybe going to a coach or seeking advice from a staff member that they really have contact with. So how can we then empower and enable and equip all of our students to really be there for each other beyond just being good teammates. Like what does that look like to not only recognize that something is awry uh, with one of your teammates, but then be able to, to guide them to the resources that they need. Now this doesn't mean that everyone that is a PWA becomes automatically becomes this like mental health expert. That's not what the training is supposed to be about, but you know, likening it to QPR and to CPR, it's really about ensuring that you can recognize what's going on, be there to support, but then ultimately refer the proper resources uh, for that person so that they can get the assistance that they need to be successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, you know, if a upperclassman sees something that maybe a freshman might be going through, um, the freshman's more likely to respond to the upperclassmen student-athlete, and then the student-athlete can kind of guide them towards um, other avenues. Is that kind of how you guys operate with PWA? I think it's, it's that, definitely, um, for an example, but that's not the only case. You know, every team has a different dynamic, different culture, um, and, you know, in our recent history, we've had some transition with some of our coaching staff, too. So the bond or the relationship where the coach that you're – playing for right now might not be the coach that recruited you. So how do you navigate that transition? But then also how can I equip the coaching staff to understand the signs, symptoms, warnings 
uh, for mood changes or just know that something this is an ongoing process for us um, to, to really enhance the visibility and the accessibility of this group. And it's something that I'm really excited about because I think it's going to continue to enhance our student athlete experience and also provide additional resources um, for, for our students as they continue to navigate what's going on at Rice University. And I think one of the things that I really enjoy about it is that the training that happens with it is something that our counseling and well-being center on campus is really a part of. So it's not that we have to bring in outside help, uh, but we can leverage those resources around us. We can leverage the counseling and resource center. We can leverage the fact that the one of the largest medical centers, the, and arguably the number one medical center in the world, is right across the street from our campus. So how can we use those resources and then also provide you know additional professional development for students that might be pre-med and student athletes? Um, you know, this is, it's a great opportunity there to not only bolster that professional development, but also assist with the personal development as they continue to navigate their student athlete experience. Gotcha. And, you know, you mentioned it, um, how it's kind of similar to SAC, except it's mm -hmm. more content specific towards obviously um, mental health and wellness. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, at Rice, you oversee SAC, but you've also overseen Zach at both Mississippi State and Cal, and then, as I mentioned before, you served as the president of Zach at Temple. Mm -hmm. um, what are some similarities and differences between each of the SAC groups that you have advised? Well, I think the differences would be easier to start with because every SAC that I've been a part of has been completely different. <laughs> um, my SAC, uh, obviously you mentioned that I was the president, we had an e-board, and we had a president, vice president, secretary, a couple other positions, mostly like a conference liaison, uh, and then the general membership. And then when I moved to Cal at the time, we had, it, it was kind of like an e-board, but everybody was a vice president, and they had committees. So you have like a, a blue and gold relations group, which dealt with a lot with the student organizations or the integration on campus. Uh, you had like an event section and SAC there was open uh, so you weren't necessarily a representative of the entire student body just because again there were or student athlete body there were 950 student athletes there was one SAC meeting where I remember there being 108 students in the room so very excited for that but you know how do we keep that momentum going and how do we ensure that it wasn't just half of the football team or half of the track and field team that was in the room uh, so that was something that was different there Mississippi State operated a little differently too. It was more of an administrator-driven uh, experience that had representatives from each team, and the the way that reps were chosen was a little different. And even with Bryce coming in, it's been a big opportunity for growth to continue to expand how staff will be looked at in the upcoming year. But I think, in a very Rice way, it was student-driven, almost to the detriment of the the group's success because it wasn't tied into what was really going on on the administrator level. And so I have the opportunity to really give it a home and, and really ensure that it's something where our student athletes and our administration are working in tandem to operate more of like a student athlete, student government. I think it's one of those things that is a question mark uh, nationwide because there isn't a lot of direction into how SAC should work. You know, there's, there's like one bylaw or one, uh, one line maybe that tells you that SAC should exist, but it can be informal, it can be a formal student organization, 
for some campuses, having a SAC that is a student, recognized student organization, that will work. That will be helpful. That will be great. It may assist in funding. It may assist in legitimacy uh, from the general student population. It may assist in a lot of ways. But that doesn't work on every campus. And, you know, just being able to navigate that and understand where it needed to be a student organization, where it really didn't matter if it was a student organization or not, that was something that I've had to navigate at each institution. Uh, and then I think the way that members are recruited and retained, you know, that's something that is always a challenge, but I think that leads back to what your overall structure and the focus of your SAC is and can be. When it operates more like a student athlete, student government, you want to ensure adequate representation across sports. So that may mean that most teams have two representatives, some have three, four, or five, depending on the size of their roster. Um, maybe for one school, your coaches pick your staff reps. And for another, the students can kind of opt in on their own. I think each of those lends to the culture of your department, but then also the legitimacy of that organization. And because SAC is supposed to be representative of the student athlete voice, the more you can have it speak to your student athlete experience, I think the better it becomes. And that doesn't come about if SAC operates in a vacuum or in a silo. So the more visibility you can have within your student athlete population, the more integration it can have on campus in a, in a way that is similar to the other student organizations, I think that can help with the vitality of the organization. Yeah. And one of the ways that I kind of view it is it needs to mirror exactly what the athletic department is structured like so that there's different points of contact within mm -hmm. SAC to represent the athletic department so that it doesn't operate in a silo. And I think that that's something that you'll be great at this upcoming year specifically um, in really just bridging that gap because it's really important. But you know, SAC is, you know, the essential piece, in my opinion, of what student-athlete development needs to be. Everything starts and ends with a good SAC group. So what are three things that you think are needed for a SAC group to not only be successful, as stated in the NCAA um, rulebook in one line, but to flourish? <laughs> <laughs> it should exist. No. Um, well, honestly... <laughs> Honestly, that can be one of my things. It should exist. Uh, and with that existence, people should know about it. So uh, I'm going to couple existence with visibility and accessibility. So if you have a SAC and the only people that know that SAC exists are the people that come to the meeting, ooh, it's going to be very hard uh, to get anything off the ground. So, you know, making sure that people know when SAC is meeting, where it's meeting, are the meetings open, if they're not open, can we do a recap at the upcoming team meeting? I don't know. Like, let's just talk about it a little bit more. If we don't talk about it, it's going to be really hard to know that it exists. So I'm going to go with exists <laughs> as, as item one. Um, something that a SAC needs to flourish, I'm going to say structure. Um, because there isn't a lot of structure provided from the NCAA, and I think that's intentional. I think it's you know, they're not going to tell you how to do it on your campus. They want you to really do what works best for your institution and your conference. Um, I, I think somebody needs to be there as a, an advisor, as an administrator, as a liaison to provide some type of consistent structure. And that can be, you know, down to when the meetings are. Um, but also it could be something as simple as if there's an e-board 
how many people are on the board? Are they representative? You know, just kind of some of the bigger picture things that I think people who might have been student athletes uh, and might have been a part of their own institutional staff kind of take for granted because they it just happened. It might have worked, and surely we can, you know, figure that out. But that's not always the case. And I think as the landscape of college athletics changes, being able to ensure that there's some type of structure, some type of continuity year after year, is something that is going to be vital to the success of staff. And now this might be the most controversial piece, but it shouldn't be. But I think the one thing, uh, the third thing a staff really needs is a voice. So being that staff is designed to be the student athlete voice, it's really hard to believe in the legitimacy of it or know about the existence of it if you never hear from staff or, you know, you've never provided them an outlet to share what's going on and provide feedback about not only their experience, but about matters like NCAA bylaws. And the only time you provide them the opportunity to go through rules education is when the conference office asks for it. Like, oh, ah, they don't pay me enough to judge, so I'm not doing that. But I'm going to say it's really hard to, to talk about the legitimacy of that organization. And I think you saw that play out uh, the last few years in national media where some of our student athletes had no idea that it was going on and or know that that was an avenue for them. Now the student athlete voice has more power than it ever has. And I think that's something that as an administration, it's on us to kind of figure out how to explain that with that, with that voice, with that power comes great responsibility, but you can't have those conversations if you never talk to your student athletes. So that's why I think, the student-athlete voice and knowing that that voice is there is something that is essential. You know, I think about the strategic planning process that we just underwent at Rice and our staff leadership had a voice. They had an input. They had an opportunity to read some things, provide feedback, saying, eh, I don't know if that's really going to work. And really some of them had more access to that than I did at parts. And I'm like, okay, do it, do it up. <laughs> you know? Great opportunity for them to develop, but who better than them? You know, I'm, I'm leveraging my student athlete experience and my experiences at other institutions, but they had more time on this campus. They were going through the day to day in the classroom or dealing with faculty or, you know, we wanted them to be a part of the student experience as a whole then who better than them to tell us what was really going on? So I'm very thankful for the vision of our leadership and in including our student-athlete voice and casting a vision for the next five years for our department. But I think those are the things that I'm going to ride with. So visibility, accessibility, you know, existence, uh, <laughs> and then being able to have structure but also have an actual voice in your department and even possibly on your campus if that registered student organization piece makes sense. So that's what I'm mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, you know, having, allowing them to have a voice is something that is extremely key, not only just during strategic plans, but what we've been doing is um, having our SAT group meet with our senior staff. Mm -hmm. um, just one representative, it's usually our president, sit in on senior staff meetings and be able to um, talk about 10 minutes about what SAC is going through um, because mm -hmm. everybody on senior staff gets 10 minutes. So having them just be a piece of that could be as easy as that, could be, you know, just strategic plans and other ways as well. Um, and then, you know, one of the other pieces is um, within the student athlete development space, it's being seen as a growing trend that 
professionals within our industry are not only supposed to um, provide holistic development for our student-athletes, mm-hmm. but we're also supposed to be working with um, our staff within our athletic department to provide professional and personal development. And that's something that you've been doing um, through the WHO uh, initiative. And um, it's something that I just want you to talk about more on, you know, what the program is and what you do to aid its efforts. Yeah, and honestly, this is something that I, I kind of started back uh, at Mississippi State. You know, we had an employee morale team that really worked on enhancing some of the initiatives over my last year there, and I was privileged to be a part of that. Uh, and then we had our diversity council that was really looking at the, the way the staff experience was and cause, because that fuels into the student-athlete experience. And I think far too often in student-athlete development, it was happening in a silo. Like we were just focusing on the student-athlete experience. But, you know, if coach wasn't bought in or if coach didn't understand why we were doing things the way we were doing, how could they be an advocate for the program? And then if, then I had some conversations with several coaches who some of the programs that we were working on or were a part of at the time, they had those in, in coursework. Well, some courses have changed or some requirements for degrees have changed. So those might not be things that little Timmy is learning in the classroom. So how do we still ensure that that's a part of the, the student experience? And so it became this thing where I learned that I needed to, to really not just care. I do care about the student athlete experience. But I need to expand that reach and that vision so that our staff could also be advocates of what was going on. I'm going to go off on a tangent here for a second, but we talked about the mental health concerns. Yeah, it's great to do the mental health education with your student athletes and ensure that they can be active, you know, in recognizing the signs and knowing the resources. But if you have a, a director of clinical services or one sports medicine staff member that is your liaison for mental health services, is that person always with your team? Are they always traveling with you? Are they always at every practice? You know, there was this joke one time that uh, somebody would say, well, if you're having a bad day, go see JP, she'll help and she'll fix it. And I'm like, well, no, it's not, not right. But if JP's not there or if JP's not around and not with your program, what's happening? And so from a staff morale, staff development standpoint, um, we needed to really look at our staff, look at our coaches and say, how are we equipping you to be a resource for your student athletes beyond the X's and O's? And I think that's something that I was welcome to be a part of at Rice where you mentioned the who. So it's the Workplace Happiness Objective, and it's a group of um, really varying levels of staff members' engagement. So we have some of our senior staff that are part of it. Um, we have coaches. We have our development office represented. Our marketing teams on there, football ops, uh, women's basketball. Just I'm rattling off people currently right now, but it, it changes uh, as people kind of roll off over time. But what we look at in addition to our all-staff meetings is trying to figure out ways to bring our staff together, whether that's just for fellowship or fun or how do we include families, but how are we ensuring that people um, not only are productive in their their day-to-day work life, but that they actually want to be a part of some of the other things that that aren't, you know, volandatory or mandatory uh, as as they work for the department. So, you know, we've We've done things like getting a snow cone truck uh, outside of our all-staff meetings or like a holiday party um, with, you know, a gift exchange. But 
sometimes it's really simple acts. You know, for me, my first day, uh, the Who had actually written a card and welcomed me to to Rice, and that was something that, like, that was my first touch point in terms of having a new office, getting a new environment, and I just had this card that was waiting for me when I got there, and it's something that I cherish, and I think it's something that was so small that said, you know, you are welcome here. You are going to be valued. You are valued. If you have any questions, you know, let us know. And so every step of the way from orientation and onboarding, which is something that we're uh, revamping and looking at how we do that, um, but even just how we get together as a staff and what those touch points look like quarterly, what they can look like monthly, uh, do we do department-wide community service initiatives, how do we celebrate the various cultural identities of not only our student athletes, but of our staff, like what does that look like throughout the year? How do we celebrate national holidays? You know, I think the questions are kind of limitless there, but I'm privileged to be a part of that group that's actively looking to not only enhance our student athlete experience and provide them with a great experience to excel, but really doing the same thing for our coaches and staff. And that's something that our our own conference within the WAC is really pushing for is the professional development and more so the mental health piece of staff because mm-hmm. yeah we want to focus it on focus it on the student athletes but it's also key to really focus it in on the staff themselves because burnout is real and you know having something like the who at mm-hmm. Rice really seems to me like it helps prevent the burnout because of the fun and engaging ways that you guys come together as a family. Yeah, and I think what's helpful is that it's it's not this silo of people in one building or in one area. Like we've tried to really create this community where if you are in a different building or if you are traveling a lot, that you still have a voice in what's going on and we can include everybody as much as possible. So we try to offer different ways or different ideas uh, to, to really engage as a department, but even doing simple things as like uh, championship send-offs. So if a team qualifies for conferences or for nationals, you know, making sure that we can get as many people out there to to send the bus off uh, in in a positive way and really just come together and and not just talk about family, but really be that for one another. And sometimes we don't don't like to use that word, but I think the more we can come together as a department, as one team, uh, really just helps our student asset experience as well. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. And now going into the topic of alumni engagement, you know, that's something that you've done um, in previous stops, and that's something that you do now at at Rice. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I think um, you are pretty knowledgeable about um, from a mastery (laughs) standpoint, which is, you know, why I wanted to discuss this topic with you. Um, so which practices would you recommend to have others in student-athlete development roles such as ourselves engage with their former letter winners at their institution with current student-athletes that are presently on campus? Yeah, well, one, thank you, because I'm not sure I can say that I've successfully mastered anything, so it's just always <laughs> um, helpful when people think that. Um, and, and like you said, this is something that I, I think I more so started um, with a formal responsibility at Mississippi State and was really excited about the opportunity to do this at Rice. Um, 
so we have a varsity letter winners organization called the R Association, and you know student athletes earn their varsity letters. They become members of this organization, and really the idea is to be able to give you a home uh, when you can come back and really help you stay engaged in everything that's going on, whether you are in the Houston area or you have decided to go off to do some really great things somewhere else in the nation or even internationally. We want to be able to have a touch point with you so that you know when you are in Houston, when you're on campus, that you have somewhere you can come back and really pay it forward is the best way uh, for me to look at it from a student athlete development experience. Uh, kind of what we were talking about earlier with SAC, like who better than, than the student athletes? Well, who better than the alumni to pay it forward to the next generation? So for me, I think the one thing that sticks out is that it's about the word engagement. Uh, it's about providing touch points to really honor the past, but engage with the present and chart a course for the future. And that's, that's kind of about alumni engagement. So as many ways as you can, can kind of partner with your letter winners group, if you have one, I think that's an easy touch point. Do you know who the director is? Is it somebody that is in your athletic department? Is it a staff member in the athletic department? Or is it an outside board? Is that a formal organization? And for many institutions, that might not be a formal organization. And this is where I think, you know, you mentioned recommended practices. This is where I think having a connection to your uh, alumni department across campus is extremely valuable. Uh, and that helps, for, at least from my standpoint, helps with providing facilitators or having a mentorship program or really just being able to leverage the experiences and the opportunities that are available to your current student athletes by engaging those who have literally run a mile uh, in their shoes. So when you have a formal letter winners organization, start there. First and foremost, start there. But I know a lot of schools don't or some are just budding over the last few years. And, and in many ways, ours is. But I think one of the things that we have done a really good job at is one, coming together. And uh, geographically, our office locations help. So I'm housed in our academic suite, which is where a lot of our student athletes can come and, you know, just hang out during the day or get some work done in between classes or even where most of our study halls are held. But within that suite, you have a compliance officer and you also have our letter winners guy. So the first time that Brett Parker is his name, he's my partner in crime, uh, the first time that our student athletes hear from our letter winners guy isn't their senior year. And that's by design. That is very intentional. You know, as I've done a lot of our team meetings over the last few months, I brought him with me. Uh, it's, it's not odd when we do our networking night that he's there, he's helping out, he's working. We work in tandem to see if we can identify alumni that we would love to have engaged or that have really unique stories that we want to be able to showcase and spotlight. He does a really great job of being active on social media, um, but then also putting together our um, like a weekly, or not a weekly, a monthly newsletter for our alumni to really know what's going on, not only within their community, but what's going on on campus. So there's, there's that piece that I am very grateful to be able to work with him and really champion what's going on with our, our association and, and then bring them into the student athlete development world a little bit more. But I think one of the other areas that helps us be successful, and this might be an avenue for people who don't have a letter winners group, is having a relationship with your alumni office on campus. So for us, that's the Association of Rice Alumni. They have been a great partner 
in um, student athlete development programs and identifying alumni and shepherding conversations where if they encounter an alumnus who was a student athlete, they're asking them if they know what's going on with Brett or with me, and they can help them get plugged in. Same thing with our career center. As alumni have reached out who were student athletes, they've also made sure that they were connecting them with us so that we can get them uh, in terms of whether it's updated contact information or maybe they want to be a mentor or they want to provide internships or they want to be a part of the next networking event. Great. Now I have campus partners who are on the same team with us, and they understand that that our student athletes, our alumni who are coming back, might not have always had a touch point with those campus resources. They can, but they should also still have a touch point with the athletic department. So to, ha to have that wider net of people that are all aligned and coming together for the same vision, they're our alumni. It doesn't matter where they're getting the information because we're all on the same team. And I think that's something that's been really helpful at Rice. And to really get them connected and to keep them on the same page, um, the main way that you guys do that is through the SOAR network, mm -hmm. which is um, something that a lot of other universities are starting to do now. And mm -hmm. uh, can you describe more about what this is and how it helps with the current and former student-athletes? Absolutely. So the SOAR network is, is Brett and I's little, little baby, <laughs> our, our brainchild over the last few weeks, but it's a great opportunity for us to have a centralized location to provide a further engagement for not only our alumni, but our current student athletes. And we partnered with Athlete Network and um, really had the opportunity to create a Rice-specific website that would allow us to facilitate all these engagement opportunities. So it allows us to create a running database of our alumni, but then because we use it with our current students, we're getting them trained to use that resource throughout their time at Rice and really hone in on some of those key areas that we talked about, like providing them access to all of the resources and all the opportunities that are there, um, really helping us facilitate uh, the, the mentorship program that is going to be department-wide, but then also additional career development resources, events as they come up, sign-ups for things, and then the data analytics that come along with the platform are really helping us as we make tweaks to our program and figure out the efficacy of what we're trying to do. So it's something that not only says, hey, it's here, um, but it's a, an athletic department way of bringing in a lot of those campus resources and ensuring that they're integrated into the experience because we've now been able to pool the things that are deemed most valuable into one centralized location. So we have our, our academic support resources in there. We have some of our career development resources in there, our sports medicine teams and sports performance teams have a page in an area where they can upload resources, share documents, you name it. Um, but then knowing that this is a, an opportunity that really spawns from student development and our association collaboration, it's a way to, to not only track but to assist our student athletes throughout these transitions and ensure that we're doing it from a more informed position. So really thankful for the SOAR Network, um, for Athlete Network's partnership in this, from the support that was provided to our, our, our OWL Club and able to be able to fund this venture. But it's something that's new for us, but it's been a big success so far. And I think it's really important that the student athletes themselves, you mentioned that your office is housed in the same area as where the academic staff's offices are, are housed, but this mm -hmm. athlete network piece is something that they can just pull up anywhere. They don't have to be in 
your guys' general proximity, which is awesome, and it's something that we're building out at Utah Valley for this upcoming year as well. Um, and, you know, you also mentioned that really trying to delve into the past um, and connecting the current with the past student-athletes and the former student-athletes' really unique perspectives on life and their own backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that you guys do this is um, through mentorship. So how big of a role do you believe that mentorship can play in the interaction between the R association and the current student-athletes at Rice? Undoubtedly, it's huge. You know, Rice is a very um, particular place. <laughs> and I say that because it's, it's great. It is an amazing institution. Uh, you know, the, the degree is unlike any other, but the history and traditions run deep. And, you know, the only people that will really understand them are the people that have been here. And I don't know if you're very familiar with the way that uh, the student experience is shaped on campus, but you know, our students don't live in dorms. They live in residential colleges, and it's something that is very similar to, like, what happens at Oxford. Um, and I guess I'll liken it to Harry Potter just to give everybody else a, a really simple <laughs> example. So the way that you have houses for Harry Potter, you know, like Hogwarts and Ravenclaw, or not Hogwarts, uh, Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, all that fun stuff, uh, you, you have houses at Rice. And so each one has its own unique identity and they have little rifts and fists with, with some of the other houses and they, they have a character all their own. There are some competitions that happen on campus throughout the year that are house specific or where people will really come out and put on for their, their residential college. So, <laughs> you know, that's an experience that most college campuses don't provide. And so to really understand that or to navigate that experience is, is something that only a Rice student or a Rice student athlete will really know. And then you couple that with the uniqueness of the honor of wearing a Rice ring. You know, there are just certain ways that Rice alumni and Rice current students will greet each other that is really indicative of being a member of the Rice University community. And so it's really cool to watch and really hear how those stories unfold. And I've been a fly on the wall in some of those interactions and engagements, and it's just really unique to see it all come together. But I think, you know, honing in, on that experience is something that I can connect with our students on one way, but I will never be a race student athlete or, 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 I mean, I could possibly one day be a distinguished R member, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> the, the possibilities of that are, are kind of slim. So I think that to your answer to your question, that one-on-one piece or that mentorship piece, who better than the people who, who were here? You know, one of the things that I think was really successful this spring we had the opportunity to do some affinity group programming and partner with our alumni association to do a men of color luncheon for men of color student athletes. So our alumni association does it, our association of West alumni does this program called Life After Rice, and they're themed differently throughout the year. And we were able, in a partnership with them, as well as a partnership with between our association and, and the SOAR program, to figure out a way to really enhance the student athlete experience. And it was something that was picked up by lead one. So we had um, about 17 or so of our African-American student athletes um, who were able to just have lunch, have a one-on-one conversation, like a real talk conversation with a panel of African-American alumni who are also student athletes. 
And so to watch that happen and to see the experiences, the, the real talk, the connections that were built in that environment was unbelievable. And that's something that we strive to enhance, especially knowing that from a campus standpoint, the Rice community, the Rice network is something that is really um, favored and pushed. You know, even with our football program, we talk a lot about the brotherhood. We talk a lot about that family connection. So how do we enhance the way for that group to, to not only survive, but to thrive year after year? And this past week, we did a, a freshman enhancement week. Uh, so for the new freshmen that had come on campus, one of the things that ended the week was an opportunity to engage with the people who built the history of this program. So about one from every decade or so, um, we had them come back and serve on a panel and just talk to the freshmen, have a real talk conversation about some things that they might not even be thinking because they just got to campus, but what are some things they need to be prepared for from an academic standpoint, from an athletic standpoint, from a social standpoint, and then to be able to, to watch those relationships flourish, I think is something that we, we want to continue to provide. So from a mentorship standpoint, it's huge. Uh, that visibility is key. Just sometimes being able to connect with someone that isn't a coach, that isn't an administrator, that isn't a faculty member, and talk about whatever you want to talk about is something that I, I love to be able to facilitate happening. And I think it's something that only deepens the tie that our students will have to their experience. And so to be able to provide those opportunities is so worthwhile. And really to provide those opportunities, um, you guys have to go out and seek mentors to really be a part of this program. Mm -hmm. um, so what types of processes do you um, and Brett use to uh, maximize the mentorship opportunities for both the R Association and the current student-athletes? Uh, well, part of it is just having those relationships across campus. Again, Association of Rice Alumni and Center for Career Development have been huge allies in really building up those bases because whenever they've encountered someone, they've been more than willing to share information with them. And as, as good stewards on our end, we make sure that we keep our, our contact list and directories updated so that you know we're all on the same team in terms of sharing information. Um, one of the things that's also helpful is just being visible. You know, we've had uh, several athletic contests. You know, somebody comes back, they're a season ticket holder. We bump into them on the sidelines or, you know, a, a concession stand line, whatever it may be, and strike up a conversation. So being able to engage with your alumni that way, just being present, <laughs> that's been one of the biggest uh, helps, I think. You know, Brett and I first met a, a big group of our alumni. Some of the panelists that wanted to be a part of the Men of Color Luncheon were actually, we had that conversation in November at a football game, and they weren't all football alumni. Uh, actually, one of them is a, a track alum, and he was there at the football game with with his his wife and their family and some of their former teammates, and we had this conversation, and I, I asked him, I remember having this conversation with him outside of a football stadium just saying, when I get this program up, can I count on you to be a panelist? And he said, absolutely. And so he was one of the first people I called when we had a date, and, of course, he was in. And so being able to leverage those opportunities that might happen in a non-traditional setting like a grocery store or another sports game or just somewhere across campus I think has been really helpful. Um, and it's, it's odd to think about this too because it's not in the traditional like athletic landscape, 
but leveraging your community, you know, for, for us being in Houston, there's this crazy stat where somewhere around 40% of rest alumni stay local. And so to be able to know that there's a lot of them in this very small um, contained pool, great. Well, that means that sometimes we're going to have to leave campus and find them. So how can we not only go out there and find them, but make them want to come to us? What, what are some of the opportunities for us to do engagement work off campus? And that's where, again, those campus partnerships have come in handy. Or to be able to know about an alum who started an organization uh, that is, you know, three blocks away from campus. How are we partnering with that organization to ensure that that alumnus can stay kind of clued in to what's going on? And I think there are a lot of stories like that that have been burgeoning, and we're just really trying to kind of seize those opportunities right now. And so, you know, none of this is happening in a vacuum, and I think that's one of the things that can be really fruitful to having alumni engagement is realizing that, you know, that old coach or that, academic advisor may or may not be at the institution. If they are, absolutely engage them in the process. Um, but if not, don't be afraid to leave the athletic silo, leave your office, leave your, your department, and really build those connections elsewhere in order to get the desired result. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, essential. And, you know, one of the other things that is so essential about this mental piece and um, the um, Men of Color talk series is the fact that it provides leadership for the student-athletes themselves. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the other ways that you create leadership programs through partnering with the R Association? Well, I think, you know, I look at the R, R Association as just an engagement piece, an engagement arm. So, for us, I don't know if leadership is a goal, but more of like a welcome byproduct, if that's <laughs> the way to think uh -huh. about it. Um, I think there's a lot to be said about finding people who look like you or are from the same place as you or have had similar experiences when you're on a college campus, uh, especially as we widen our recruiting base and the success of our programs. Being able to connect with people on different levels is going to be key. So that engagement factor, I think, is always at the, the forefront of what we're trying to provide. And you never know how somebody's message or somebody's interaction is going to resonate with someone else. You know, this is something I tell our students uh, when we first have introductory meetings with them. They might not like me. You know, I might be too much. I might be too high energy. Just, ah, like, yeah, ooh, she's a bit much. But I would be really hard-pressed to find out that at the end of their three, four, five, six, who knows how many years on campus, that they didn't know who they could talk to about something, they didn't know where they could go, that would hurt my feelings. I'm going to take that personal because it might not be me. It doesn't have to be me. But if I can be that bridge or that conduit to something else, great. You know, we have a great leadership development program on campus, and I think it was something that was kind of underutilized by our department. And so one of the things that we're trying to figure out is how do we increase the accessibility of the programs and services provided? How do we partner with that organization to not only enhance what's going on on the current student side, but in their community programs? Can we get some of our alumni to be involved with it on a, on a greater basis? And then when we have those interactions, can we bring the student athletes that have done the program and the alumni that have done the program together to have fruitful dialogue and more meaningful connections? You know, those are just some of the things that 
that I keep, I get to think about and I get to scheme every day. You know, we have scheme team meetings sometimes within our department, which is just a collaboration of people from different units, and we're trying to figure out how do we bridge those gaps? How do we come together to achieve the same goal? And that's what I think we need to focus on more in college athletics, not like internal, external, because those are the those are the things that really build those leadership development opportunities. The more I can bring in other people, the more I can bring in outside departments, especially the more I can bring in our alumni who had maybe some challenging experiences or had to navigate a coaching change or a leadership change from the administration. What was their experience and how can it help uh, pave the way for our students today to be successful? So our, our association connections and you know, well, they, they help with leadership development, absolutely. They also help with career development, personal development, um, and then really professional preparation and our engagement to the community at large. So the more that we can have that, I don't think it's just this one notion of checking that box, but engagement nonetheless is the key. Right. And it's what you mentioned was the stories of the people you bring in. It's just as, you know, listening to a speech that might not be classified under leadership development, there's some tools in there that you can gain um, to help you become a better leader. And that's something that I kind of wanted to get at with, you know, other student-athlete development programs around the nation is really just focusing in on your R association and have them speak um, when when it's applicable to speak. But uh now to finish up the podcast, I want to just delve into um, some of your own personal um, history within this space and just as somebody who's continuing to progress within our own industry. Um, and the first question would be, if you could teach student-athletes three skills, what would they be and why? Oh, just three, huh? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think the first one is self-awareness. You know, that's something that I think back, I mean, even about five years ago now, I remember sitting across from Scott Shiplin, um, who's currently the AD at Florida, and he asked me what I thought one of the biggest issues facing college athletics was today, and um, my answer is self-awareness, and I think that's something that faces college students today. Just being able to know who you are and how to interact with others you know, we're dealing with a population that's been coached on just about every aspect of their lives up until this point. Um, so when they have to unplug or when they're not getting the how-to, the X's and O's from someone else, how do they truly handle adversity? And if they can do it in an athletic setting, can you foster a way for them to figure out how to do it in more of a personal or social setting? So just understanding those pieces and that self-awareness, I think, is something that is key uh, not only for our student athletes, but we'll serve them well as they continue to grow in this world. Uh, the other thing that I would add to that is teaching them how to unplug. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that I've enjoyed thoroughly uh, since I've started at Rice is the location of my office. And when you walk into our academic suite, I am the first office. So if you walk in really just about anywhere, you have to pass my door. In the first couple of weeks, um, people would come in, the lights on, the doors open, and they're like, oh, I don't, I don't know her. Like, well, some, something's going on. And so to kind of just watch them walk in but, like, not say anything, uh, even if they made eye contact with me, I'm like, I'm not going to bite you. 
<laughs> you know, that was kind of funny. So now there's this rule, and we have this joke, and we have this ongoing dialogue about if you walk by that door and the door is open and the light is on, you don't have to have a full-on conversation, but just, you know, smile, acknowledge somebody's presence, like head nod, wave, something, because you never know what type of effect that's going to have on somebody else. And so to be able to be aware, be alert uh, of your surroundings, you know, there was one time that I laughed hysterically thinking about it. I had one of our student athletes walk by my door, and he had his headphones on. And he was just in his own little zoned out. But it was probably a day or two after we had this talk about walking by the door and being aware and being alert, and he didn't say anything. And so I get up. I follow him. He had no idea that I was right behind him. And he walks into someone else's office, sits down, takes his headphones off, and I was like, Do you, you know what you just did, don't you? And he's like, oh, no, what happened? Uh, so long story short, the next afternoon I saw him at practice, and he runs up to me once the drill is over and goes, JP, I just want to make sure that you know that I saw you, that we are on the same page, like all this fun stuff. So that's been our, like, ongoing joke there. But just being able to be aware and being alert, like unplug from the headphones, unplug from the iPhone, whatever. Or what, what I don't know what's doing. Get off social media every now and then and like have a conversation. I can't tell how many times I've had people in my office that were in group chats with each other and not actually talking out loud, but texting each other in the same room. Okay, great. So we're going to talk. We're going to have a full on conversation right now. And to be able to facilitate that, I think, is key. Um, but that's also probably the inner linguist and communications person um, for my background coming to life there. So definitely appreciate those little moments in life. Um, but I think another piece, too, which is, is growing in importance to me as a professional is just knowing how to take care of yourself more uh, and, and understand that you are worthy. And that's something that I think is going to be my mantra for this year. But it's really easy the more you do stay plugged in uh, to be hard on yourself or to kind of, you know, speed the trolls or understand that somebody can be your biggest supporter when, when you're up, when you're winning, but then you guys lose a game or, you know, you get a little bit of a setback and they're your worst enemy, worst critic, all of the above. And so you can take that hard. And if anyone is like me, uh, you're probably your hardest critic. Uh, you're probably your own worst enemy. And I think I see that a lot with the students that I work with, especially at an institution like Rice, where they are used to excelling. They are used to being on top. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think just understanding that you bring something unique to the table, you are worthy, you do belong here, and you bring something else that no one else can. So who better than you in certain moments? And who better than you to be a part of where you are right now? Uh, Those are things that... I, I want to do a better job of sharing with our students and, and ensuring that we can live those goals out together. I think that those are all really, really important. The next question is, what are you learning from the student-athletes you serve? Oh, I am learning that I am grateful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, I say that in jest, but I think one of the things that I share with all of our recruits, all of our student-athletes is, I loved my collegiate student-athlete experience. Now, that does not mean that it was all rainbows and unicorns and, you know, happy-go-lucky all the time, but I loved it, and I loved every opportunity that I was able to seize throughout that time, and there are a couple that I look back on, and I wish that I had taken more 
uh, more of an opportunity or more of a, a focused interest in, in taking advantage of those. So what I learned with our students now is that I had a really good experience and I want for them to have the same. And considering that that is part of my job to ensure that they do have better opportunities than I do, and I have it still, I need to do a better job with that. So I love when our students challenge me in terms of why they would show up to a program or why not. You know, I've had some students that were very vocal about thinking that certain programs weren't for them. They didn't need it. You know, they, they had a certain upbringing or access to certain resources when they were younger, and they just didn't need the, the programs and the resources that I was providing for them. And so I welcome those moments because those allow me to flex and think more critically about how I can meet them where they are and how I need to be able to provide different opportunities for them to grow that may be different than some of their teammates. So knowing that no two experiences are exactly alike, I think is something that I'm very grateful for as well. And just being able to understand that if something worked yesterday, that doesn't mean that it's going to work tomorrow. If something works at Cal, doesn't mean that that works exactly that same way at Mississippi State. And if it works at Mississippi State, it might not work at Rice that way. So being able to have all of those experiences, learn what works for the students that I'm working with, more importantly for the institutions that I'm at and the resources that I have and how I can flex and navigate those transitions uh, on an individual level is something that I think still keeps me going because I love that challenge and I love being able to figure out how to help people maximize their own potential and get where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's really key to really be able to know what their own needs are from their perspective um, compared to how we might perceive what their own needs are and just really building programs around that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you mentioned that you were grateful for your collegiate experience at Temple, and, mm-hmm. you know, you you were more than just a student-athlete there. That's such a cliche term, but, you know, you served as the president of SAC, you were involved heavily on campus and within the NCAA and conference. So looking back, um, what advice would you give yourself when you were in college? This is something that I think in reflection, I figured it out. So I think it's really important to take a moment for yourself to reflect um, because those were the moments where I really figured out that, you know, maybe this major was not what it was all cracked up to be in the recruiting process or what I thought worked for me when I was a, a student in high school. I figured out in college it didn't work, and I wouldn't have known those things if I didn't take the time to think about it. Um, I think what I was also fortunate to have, uh, again, I've talked a lot about why Temple was really important to me. I was surrounded by people who saw something more for me and were willing to ask me the difficult questions. I didn't always have the answer, but just by being around somebody who asked me those questions, I was able to figure it out. Like you don't know what you don't know, and you really don't know what you've never had a chance to come to face with. So when I had those people around me ask me questions that I didn't have the answer to, whether they were about myself or about something that I thought I could become, those were the moments that I really grew And I think I've heard a lot of professionals talk about that moment where you get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, those were those moments. And I got real comfortable not having the answers or being asked something about myself and not knowing what to say. But, again, when I unplugged, when I took a moment for myself, when I really faced those difficult moments, those difficult conversations, 
those are the moments where I grew. And I'm really thankful for all of those because I think they've helped me get where I am today. And I would consider myself thriving, um, but I know I still have a long way to go, and I'm willing to do that, willing to put in the work, willing to continue to learn not only about this field, but about myself and ensure that I can become the best me possible. So, Key, um, before I ask the final question, um, where can people connect with you? I know you mentioned that one of the things that you would teach student-athletes is unplugging, um, <laughs> but based off of, you know, so, social media mm-hmm. and other areas, how are the best ways to get in contact with you and uh, connect with you more? You know, that's funny. I say don't connect with, you know, don't be too connected, but most of those connections have led to offline connections. So obviously, you know, you and I have talked on the phone. We're not just connected yeah. <laughs> on social media. Um, so we can start on social media. That's fine. Um, people can reach me on LinkedIn, um, you know, JP Abercrombie. That's there. I'm there. I'm really active on Twitter. You might get a lot of uh, promotion of my teams, my people, uh, some, some fun stuff going on. So if that bothers you, you know, I'm just out here striving to be great, striving to live my best life. So I'm warning you now. Uh, but at Jess underscore JP underscore is my Twitter handle. Really active there. Um, but then, you know, if people want to email me directly, you can email me at rice, uh, jp.a at rice.edu is uh, a good way to get in, in touch with me as well. So um, I try to be extremely responsive. Um, you know, some people have split in my DMs on Twitter. Try and help you out that way if I can as well. Um, but I, I try and be open in that way. So uh, feel free to reach out and connect with me there. Awesome. And I definitely recommend connecting with her on Twitter because she <laughs> mentioned uh, <laughs> she, JP mentioned that she um, gives, you know, stories and, and promos, but she also gives nuggets of uh, wisdom like she did this past week, which was phenomenal. Um, so it really gets you motivated for the day. But before I ask the final question, I just kind of want to acknowledge you um, as an individual and tell you that you are worthy to know that you are a tremendous leader that paves the way to uh, holistically develop student-athletes through utilizing your own knowledge and being self-aware of the campus that you're at so that you can provide student-athletes, staff, and others within this space, such as myself, to truly soar on their journey through life. And I just want to give you a uh, thank you for being a source of motivation, inspiration, and knowledge that others can glean from. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Of course. Of course. So this is the uh, Jack of All Trades podcast, How to Live a Life of Virtue. Final question that I always ask is, what's your definition of virtue based off of my own personal definition, which I created an acronym for, is uh, values that inspire the readiness to transform one's own understanding of excellence. So what is your own definition of virtue, and how do you live it out on a daily basis? I feel like it would be almost blasphemous of me not to mention this, but, you know, we just talked about connecting uh, so I don't even know if you've seen this, but in my Twitter bio, there are a lot of little slogans and phrases that I think uh, really sum up who I am and, and my philosophy for life. And one of those is pack up. And so it's P-A-C-C-C, um, three C's and then up. And really that's something that I, I use to tell myself to get myself ready for the day. Um, if I'm ever you know, not feeling 100% 
that phrase really gets me going. It's something that I share with our students because I want them to be able to, to notice what's going on with me and to, to check me if I'm not doing something that I said I was going to do. So those letters, the P, the A, and the three Cs represent my values. And so for me, it's passion, accountability, communication, collaboration, and consistency. And so when I think about virtue and when I think about how I navigate the world, those are the things that I live by. Those are the things that I share with others, and I ask others to hold me accountable to that. And if I'm ever acting in a manner that isn't consistent with those values, I expect someone to check me. I expect someone to say, you know, you, you said you were going to do this. I've never had this one happen, so, you know, if, if I said I was going to do it, oh, it's going to get done. I will find it out. I will figure it out. I'll find a way. Um, that accountability is something that's really important to me. And then that communication, collaboration, consistency, those are things that at the core of what I do for work, but then also who I am as a person, I want to share that with the world around me. And I think those are things that have helped me continue to thrive. And I do all of those things to, to the fullest of me. You're going to get energy. You're going to get loud. You're going to get, you know, a little bit of sass every now and then. Um, my students at Mississippi State used to say that there were four P's to my personality. So it was passion, purposeful, perseverance, and then petty. Because there were moments sometimes where I'm like, nope, remember when you said you were going to do X, Y, Z? All right, you're going to get some sass. So <laughs> being able to do those things, but to know that that's me at my core, and to live that authentically and unapologetically me is something that I'm grateful for. And that's what I think of when I think of virtue. And it's by some way you don't live up to this is the acronym telling, allowing us to tell you to pack up. Is that what that Absolutely. means? <laughs> Absolutely. There are moments where I've asked my students, like, again, if, if, if I'm not giving you what I need to give you and I'm not, um, you know, helping you do Check me. So, JP, pack up. Let's go. Yes. And those are moments where, like, if I come to the office and I, I seem down or I seem sad and, you know, you're not getting that interaction with me uh, that, you know, <laughs> you think you should, you're like, what's going on? Did you pack up today? You know, we've kind of made those, those jokes going around. But for me, it's, it's also a reminder that there are a lot of people out there that, that might look up to me or that might need something for me. And knowing that those values, those five words speak to my core, if I'm ever off, that's my checks and balances to say, all right, what's going on? So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I am who I am because of my environment, because of the people that have been along this journey with me. So if I'm ever not acting accordingly, I expect someone to tell me to pack up <laughs> so, that, <laughs> so we can get right back on the right ship. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I, I think that that's so key to really just be aligned with values and, However, the listeners might want to do it, just have some type of acronym that really keeps you in check so that it's easy to remember. Um, but once again, JP, thank you so much for being on the show today, and uh, I look forward to connecting again soon. Thanks, Jack. I appreciate it. Of course. Once again, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Jack of All Trades podcast with my friend JP Abercrombie at Rice. And we really hope that you are able to gain some valuable nuggets of information in today's show on how to elevate and enhance the student athlete development program at your respective institution. For future episodes, make sure to tune in. 
again to the show as I feature guests such as Marissa Nichols, Lisa Rubin, and once again, my fabulous mentor, Christina Navarro. And as always, continue to live a life full of virtue.